Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Good morning again. Welcome. I'm so happy to see all of your faces here. My name is Ryan. I'm the teaching pastor here. I am one of many teachers. I'm a part of a teaching team. I get to lead people. Is this close enough? I know that we've been having weird problems with this mic, so I'm going to do my best. Do my best. I trimmed my beard so that this would work, so you're all very welcome. Um, Yeah. So we are in a series right now called What Are We Saying? And very often when I, I'm, I'm in a lot of different Christian circles, online, people who I went to school with who are, now, who are now pastors, people who have moved all over the world, people who do a lot of work in church contexts. And when I read what they say and what they post about, because it's very often what they post about, right? It's very often what people post to their Facebook or their Twitter, but I'm, I'm constantly like, oh, we don't mean the same things by these words. Like, the, when people ask me, what do you mean by this? It's often because what people bring into church context, what, bring, what people bring into the church world is a lot of history with these words that if we assume everybody means the same thing that you mean, we're getting off on a very wrong foot. If we start talking about baptism, depending on the context that that person came from their childhood, That may mean something very different for that person than what it means for you. And getting on the same page with these terms is really important because when we want to link arms into the work of Christ, what often ends up happening is we end up having to retranslate what we actually meant by what we were saying when we started talking about this. And so coming to some sort of clarity, at least about some of the key words that we see show up in our community is really important. Last week, Steve talked about a very big word, salvation, and that he he was able to touch on it, and and he was very open and honest about how large of a topic it is and how hard it is to talk for 20 minutes on a topic that huge. The weeks before that, Barb and Danny talked about this word, adoption, that Christ brings us in and makes us his own, and, and how that frees us up from having to try to earn our way towards him. Very important things and things that if we don't define them, we often will get very confused. And so today we are talking about the word peace. And in a world where there is so much non-peace and in a time, a very specific time in history, where the front page of whatever news you consider trustworthy. I don't even care which one you pick. It's hard to find peace. It's hard to find, like, good news. I'm subscribed, and I went through a large period of time where I sought out specific news that only posted good news, (laughs) because I was like, I need a balance here. I need something to remind me that, like, there's still good things happening. And, And so that's to say that this word peace can be very elusive, but it can also be something that if we let the world define it for us, we end up seeking the wrong thing. So, 
In John 14, 27, Jesus said, my peace I give to you. I'm going to try this again. Sorry if it blows up. All right. He says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. It's crackling and I can hear it and it will distract me. All right. So we have to know that even Jesus acknowledged that the world will offer you a form of peace. That there are many ways of peace being talked about that is not something that Christ was about. So how much of our understanding of this word peace is actually informed by, our, by the life of Christ? When we start talking about peace, how much of it does it actually point us to look at how Jesus lived? A man who would extend weddings so that the party would continue and go on. He hung out with those who would damage his reputation. He wept. He would withdraw to lonely places to pray. He left people and towns wanting more. Much better. So he would leave people and towns wanting more. He was betrayed by his closest friends and family. A person whose life, if you put it on paper, I would, I would think that doesn't sound very peaceful. Like the kind of peace that I think about or that sometimes I even pursue. Jesus' life, for me, I'm like, ooh, that's, that seems like it would produce a lot of chaos. But there was an internal something that I want to tap into in my life and something that when I think about the Christian understanding of the word peace, we have to look at the life of Christ. There was a stable confidence based on their relationship with God. There's a passionate, others-oriented posture in the world. And there was the freedom and wisdom to say no and yes. And very often we hear the opposite, right? You're free to say yes and no. It's almost like no is this like alternative option that we don't really want people to say. There's a freedom and a wisdom that Christ had to say, no, I'm moving on over here. And there was a peace about that. Despite how that was received by so many people, there's a very big difference between the world version of peace and shalom as we understand it. The world's version of peace is often marked by a protection, something that you hang on to. You protect your peace, right? I hear that a lot. When people are tired of having their time abused, which is a very good thing to be protective of, but the way that they talk about it is protect your peace. Keep your peace and make sure to keep people out of it. There's an isolation in it, whereas shalom, the way that it's talked about is you're distributing peace, right? We are distributing the good news of peace, something that we're handing out, not hoarding, not just absorbing the world's version of peace is something that you earn, right? You work for the weekend, right? You've done all of the hard work and now you get to rest. The Christian version of peace, shalom, begins our week. When we think of how Sabbath was given to us, we start our week from rest. 
God designed it so that we would work from this place of knowing who he is and be able to rest in the fact that he has enough and that he cares for us, that we would begin from a place of rest, that it's not something that we earn. It's not something that we work really hard for and then peace is at the end of it. And so often, even as I say that, I'm like, I'm so bad at that. I still have so much room to go before I really believe that that is how peace works. Um, When I was first, not first married, but when Sierra had just been born, and if any of you know the tornado of a child that I have at my home, that that was from the beginning. So a lot of energy. She was only a couple months old, and I wanted to take my family to Yosemite. Um, I grew up in the mountains, and so I had this fantastical vision of taking them up there, and we would all have this euphoric mountaintop experience, and it was going to be great. And I'm driving, and we're going through Tuolumne, and Sierra's making noise because she's just always, when she's awake, she's making noise. But, um, and then Lexi's in the back seat, and I'm trying to get her to stay buckled in, but she's taking off her sweatshirt, but I'm like, I feel like she was taking her sweatshirt off with her feet, and I'm like, things are tangled up, and I'm, and I'm like, she's choking herself with her sweatshirt, and I'm losing, I'm in the front seat, and I'm like seething, just like, everybody have a good time, stop making noise, and I was so frustrated in that moment, because what I wanted in that moment was my version of peace. I wanted everyone to have the experience that I had in my head. Like, could everybody just play along with me? What I wanted in that moment was not this family sense of wholeness or connection or that everybody would have a good time. It turned into I was frustrated and I wanted silence. Peace became everybody, leave me alone. And peace for me in that moment is very much like what we see the world talking about. Christ's peace is the word shalom, which assumes community, but often the world's peace is a word from the top, from the powerful, trying to silence and choke the vocal cords of those that would disrupt peace. It's, it's, it's peace for some and not peace for others. A good friend, pastor of mine, Bill doctrine says this he says when the shalom only exists when the powerful get what they want it's actually not the shalom of god it's our version of pax romana and i want to stop there because pax romana if you've not heard that term before i want to unpack it a bit because i think that it's really powerful for what we're talking about today pax romana translated is the peace of rome and it was this time that's considered a miracle because there was, a, there was an internal peace that Rome experienced from 31 B.C. to A.D. 250. And there were really great things about this time. Like that kind of peace allowed ease of travel. So when we talk about the growth of Christianity, it actually benefited from this time as well. But we have to remember... Remember that that piece should really be in air quotes because that piece was built on the backs of oppressing many other people. A quote from an author from that time said that Romans regarded peace not as an absence of war, but the rare situation which existed when all opponents had been beaten down and lost the ability to 
resist. Now, a lot of what I hear in political talk from both sides seeks something that looks like that. Seeks something that looks like, let's beat our opponents down. Or how many online arguments have you ever seen where somebody wants to say that mic drop moment as if that really ever moves people into wholeness? As if that ever really hears the heart of other people? We have been trained to live like this. We've been trained to shut our opponents down and call that peace. We've been trained to not pay attention to those things that are rising up that would disrupt us because we know, like, ah, to live in my convictions, I would have to pay attention to this thing that, like, should I be shopping at that store knowing that they treat their workers that way? Should I be buying this thing? Should I be looking at this thing? We have an internal voice that disrupts our peace saying, pay attention to what's happening here. We have an internal small prophet inside of us that's reminding us of what we should be doing at all times. And so often we train ourselves to beat that voice down. And so often in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our churches, unfortunately, but like in our country, we've learned to keep those dissenting voices really small, to beat them down so that we can have our peace. So that's the Pax Romana, right? That they just beat down the resistance and said, oh, this is nice. No one's arguing anymore. How are we fighting for something called maybe, I don't know, Pax Americana? What kind of peace are we fighting for in our country that is on the backs of hurting people, how does that peace kill the prophets? Because it's in the Pax Romana that Jesus was killed, by the way. It was in this time of peace that the dissenting voices saying, you don't have to obey this kind of power, the peaceful time of Rome found a quick way to silence those people. How often do we do the same thing that we, like, say Rome was so horrible because they did these things? Where does that live in me? How does that show up on a Yosemite trip where all of a sudden I'm like, I don't care if everyone else is having fun. I need all of these dissenting little children's voices to be quiet now. I was the Caesar Augustus of this trip to Yosemite. Maybe what kind of packs LBCF are we trying to pursue. Let's just bring it home. Let's bring it inside the doors right here. What kind of peace are we trying to build that silences the dissenting voices from within our community? Because I don't want to be a part of any church community that silences the voice of the prophets. Because that's not even good. Jesus is not in that. No interest in that. No time. And I don't want any of you to waste your time in that either making a community where we value and make space for the voice of the prophets. That no one has to silently suffer for that kind of peace to succeed. 
Can we go back to the text really quick? Can we bring up Isaiah here? Because we see peace talked about a lot in Isaiah, and I'm going to be bringing up a very well-known text in Jeremiah. It says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. Let's go to the next slide. The Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And at the end it says, For the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. And I was like, when I first read this, and it maybe because I have a lot of work to do of like what pops up in my head when I read the Bible, but what came up for me was this vision of the movie 300. Has anyone seen the movie 300 where they create this like barrier of shields where all of a sudden no one can attack them and they're like a turtle shell and it's amazing. And I'm like, that's not what they're talking about here. This, their context is not war. Their context is Exodus. What they're thinking of is the Exodus where God said, in order for you to be focused on the covenant that I'm calling you into, you have to be undistracted from all of the chaos. You have to be, you have to be able to focus on the fact that I want you to pay attention to loving each other and worshiping me. And he called them into the desert and said, I'll protect you so that you can focus on love and worship. Their context is Exodus. When they hear, I will be your rear guard, they're thinking of tabernacle. They're thinking of the pillars of fire and smoke, right? Like they're thinking of things where for us, we think of rear guard and our heads go military, their head goes covenant. So what we have to remember here is what's being talked about is God is saying, I will protect you not in a way that you don't experience the chaos of the world, but so that you can, in the midst of it, focus on loving each other and worshiping me. That's the context that we hear here. Matthew 6, Jesus, in one of his first public announcements, says, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious. But Jesus, have you seen the news? <laughs> like, are you paying attention to what's happening here? The peace of Rome was not something that the exiled people of God got to enjoy. It was on their backs that that was built. So when he says, don't be anxious, there's a temptation. And there's a temptation for me when we start talking about peace, where it's like, hey, peace be to you. Like, okay, great. Do you want to come walk in my house and tell me I should be peaceful? Because... One thing's for sure. I don't want you to walk in my shoes, but I don't want to walk in your shoes. Because everybody's life is super complicated in a way that I don't understand. So calling for peace without paying attention to what's really happening is something that we see in Jeremiah. And I'm going to fast forward here in my notes. Jeremiah 6.14 Jeremiah was called to be the prophet as the church was descending into exile. Probably one of the worst times, if not the worst time, to be a prophet 
is when everybody's hope is disintegrating in their hands. That dreams are like sand falling through the cracks of your fingers, can't hold on to anything. Being the voice of God and being the representative saying, this is on you. (laughs) Like, not a fun time to be a prophet, for sure. He was responding to the fact that there were false prophets at that time who would say, shalom, health, shalom, prosperity, shalom, peace, saying, it's okay, everything's all right. Things are going to be okay. Believe me, I live in a world where I am constantly learning and being told that I need to pay attention to the reality of things rather than distracting myself and telling me that things are okay. Because that is a flimsy kind of peace that can be shattered like that. That kind of peace can be taken away from you in a phone call. Jeremiah said, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace they say, when there is no peace. And I wonder right now, what are we called to? And if I can be honest, when I was preparing all of this, my first temptation was to go from here and talk about Christ as he calls us to, as he's separating the sheep from goats and says, when I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. And they said, Lord, when did we not do these things? And he says, what you did to the least of these, you did to me. And a call for peace to be something that we seek for the community. And I was like, that was the temptation. And I still believe that that's true. But it almost broke my heart that I was more compelled by the threat of Jesus separating me and judging me than I was by the beautiful invitation and imagination of what the world would look like if I actually sought the well-being of other people. It, it hurts that I am not compelled like I wish I was by just pursuing the goodness of other people. I'm not convinced yet. And I don't like that. And I wish that the church was different. I wish that the church was so compelled by peace being a communal shalom that says nothing missing, nothing broken. Not just for us and ours and we close the doors and as long as we are good in here, then we're okay no matter how many people are hurting to protect that. But if we could actually say like, no, we are seeking the shalom. We're seeking the goodness of our community, of Long Beach in, as a whole. And we are not going to rest. We are not going to lean back into our peace until those who are most vulnerable, most ignored, most abused, they get to experience shalom. We are bringing the gospel of peace. We are not absorbing the gospel of peace. We're starting from a place of rest, knowing that God's got enough for us. At the end of this, I was preparing this, and I was thinking about how 
last Tuesday. This is not some imaginary thing that I'm working through. This is something that's showing up in my life right now. I'm working in therapy to figure out why it's so hard for me to just seek the wholeness in my marriage when I know that it will cost me something because I actually believe somewhere deep down, somewhere broken inside of me, that if I love my wife the way Christ loves the church, that I will just pour myself out and there will be nothing left. I'm just, that's such a broken way of viewing it. When we pour ourselves out for the shalom of others, when we bring the gospel of peace into our relationships, it multiplies shalom and it multiplies capacity. And there's enough for me. God has enough for you. And he wants us to be able to have a stable understanding that that he's got us. He's got enough for you. We don't have to fight so hard and accumulate so much. There's a word about peace where it says that we would beat our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks. The work where we don't learn to fight anymore. All of the wars that we've had is about resources and fighting. Who gets to keep what? Who gets the most peace? We'll bomb other people to make sure we're peaceful. That's not the peace of God. That's not shalom. When people have to be bombed so that we keep our peace, don't confuse that to think that has anything to do with the shalom that we're talking about here. That's a very... I get very frustrated about that because we often hear this idea where we want to have some sort of peace at someone else's expense. Can we go to the slide where I have something written so that I can be on some sort of track really quick? <laughs> I, I know that I have words on one of these slides, Andrew. Peace and justice, peace and jubilee, peace and Sabbath, peace and presence. I want to close with a video by Sharon Harper about the governance of God, <clears throat> that he actually built the world not to suffer in this place where we seek the peace and wholeness and shalom for each other, but that is actually something that is beautiful that is built in. So let's play this video, and then I'll come up and pray in close. I think the world needs to hear from God, that God sees us, and that God is with us, and that there is a way, there is a way to peace. There is. It's the path of vulnerability. It's the path of love. Hippie, not uh, sustainable, can't govern that way. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And in fact, God did govern this way. In Genesis, not in Genesis, in Exodus, when, when God actually established the people of Israel, God established the Sabbath, the sabbatical year, and the year of Jubilee. And in those times, and through those three pillars of God's governance, that's God's governance in action, what you see is you see that God actually made a way systemically through the structure that there would never be poverty in perpetuity for any family in Israel ever because through the Sabbath you actually get you get 
the establishment of at least one day a week. Again, limiting, right? Like creating limitations on the darkness. At least one day a week, even if you're a slave, one day a week you are equal before God. You are coming in to um, into the into the throne room of God, and you are able to worship. And God wants you as much as God wants anybody else. And then in the in the sabbatical year, everybody gets the year off, the whole year off, and they get their debts forgiven. That's huge. And slaves are set free. This is every seven years. And then Jubilee every seven times seven years. Not only do people get the whole year off, not only do they get their debts forgiven, hello, school loans, hello, you know, hello, mortgages, hello, housing crisis, right? Like not only do they get their debts forgiven, but they also get their land restored to them. So if your house has gone into foreclosure in the last 49 years and that reset button year, after the 50th year or 49th year, depending on how you, how you count, God hits the reset button in God's governance and every all the land shifts back to the original deed holder, holders because there's grace in God's governance. There's the understanding that we don't need to be perfect. We are not perfect. We will never be perfect. And in God's governance, there will never be a human being who lives under the reign of God within whom the image of God is not cultivated, respected, and protected. And that's why in God's governance, there's a, there's a governance in a way that, that declares there will be no poverty and perpetuity here ever. dancing partner with Jubilee, that peace is a dancing partner with Sabbath, that peace is a dancing partner with presence and justice. There's a famous quote by Pope Paul VI on the day of peace in 1972. He said, if you want peace, work for justice. And so often we think of of that word is being so co-opted by so many people now that sometimes our eyes roll and it becomes about this like virtue signaling thing. And, I'm, and I want to make sure that we understand that before we feel this frenetic pace to go fight all of the things that would bring peace, that we would remember, like Christ, our pursuit of peace. In your pursuit of peace, how much are you pursuing a life like Christ? one with a stable confidence born out of your relationship to him where you understand what you are responsible for and most importantly, what you're not. What are you freed from so that you could pay attention to worship and loving each other? Which is why when Christ said, all of the law is summarized in these two things, love God, love each other. A passionate others-oriented posture and the freedom and wisdom to say no. We need, when I hear videos like that, what hits me the most is I need a renewed imagination. I need my imagination renewed where I am actually compelled by the well-being and wholeness of other people. 
and that sometimes when I feel this protectivism, I'm wondering, I wonder if there's an excess that I have that I'm protecting in that moment. I wonder if my, when that, when I hear that and when I think I can't pour myself out for other people and I get really protective, what are we protecting? What are we hoarding? And how much does that show us that our imagination and our remembering that God has enough? How much do we have to be reminded of that? And when we start with peace, maybe we just have to start by looking at each other and saying, God has enough. God has enough. He has enough for you to be able to pour yourself out the way that Christ did. He also has enough for others that you can say no. You don't have to say yes to everything. God has enough for you that you can look at other people and seek the shalom of the community, knowing that that kind of shalom and wholeness is something that nobody has to silently suffer to achieve. That that doesn't have to be built on the backs of anybody. That we don't have to seek Pax Americana or Pax Christian Church. We don't have to try and seek some sort of peace where underneath that there are people hurting. That we can make room for the voice of the prophets in our community. That that's the kind of peace that is whole, that restores, that makes room that widens the table. I'm going to bring Danny up, and he's going to close us in some songs. Uh, Would you close your eyes as we close our time out in prayer? Lord, would we we remember, would we start this conversation in ourselves, reminding ourselves of the exodus, being called out to worship, not trying to cover up the reality of our lives or of our world or of we read on the news by just trying to paint over it with peace, but saying, Lord, how can we actually be peacemakers going to the conflict, facing it, looking at it, and finding out how do we enter in the same way that Christ did not run away from the reality of his world, but ran to it and entered in in a powerful way one that was grounded in you, Lord, would we be people of peace like that? Would we let our peace that we seek in this community, in our lives, in our own hearts, be shaped by the way that we look at Christ and the way he engaged his very confused and broken and violent world that had a world's version of peace for sale, and he said, you don't have to buy it. Shape us, Lord. Would would we be a community like that? Thank you for your son. Thank you for the work that you did. Thank you for the people in this room. Thank you for this community that when we would link arms that we could do powerful things as your spirit moves through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.